Hello, and welcome to the Brothers Grimm Lunch Break. I'm Eric Wagoner. Today, I'll be reading The Young Giant. A farmer had a son no bigger than the size of a thumb. After some years had passed, his son did not show the least sign of getting any bigger, or even growing so much as a hair's breadth. One day, when the farmer was preparing to go out to the field and do some plowing, the little fellow said, "'Father, I want to go with you.' "'You want to go with me?' asked the farmer. "'Well, I think you'd better stay here. "'You're of no use to me out there, and you could get lost.' When he heard that, Thumbling began to cry, so his father stuck him in his pocket and took him along in order to have some peace and quiet. Once he was out in the field, he pulled his son out again and set him down in a freshly plowed furrow. As the boy was sitting there, a big giant came over the hill. "'Do you see the big boogeyman over there?' said the father, who just wanted to scare the little fellow so he would behave. "'He's coming to get you.' It took the giant only a few steps with his long legs before he reached the furrow. Then he lifted Thumbling up carefully with two fingers, examined him, and carried him away without saying a word. The father stood there so petrified with fright that he could not utter a sound. He was certain his child was now lost to him, and he would never set eyes on him again. In the meantime, the giant took the boy home and let him suckle at his breast, and Thumbling grew and became big and strong like most giants. When two years had passed, the old giant took him into the woods to test him. "'Pull up a stick for yourself,' he said. By now the boy had become so strong that he tore a young tree right out of the ground, roots and all. But the giant thought, "'We must do better than that.' So he took him home again and nursed him for two more years. When he tested him once more, the boy's strength had increased so much that he could tear an old tree out of the ground. Yet it still was not enough for the giant, who nursed him another two years, and when he took him into the woods, he said, Now make sure you tear up a stick of decent size. The boy tore up the thickest possible oak tree right out of the ground, so that it cracked in two, and this was mere child's play for him. "'That's enough now,' said the giant. "'You've learned all you need to know.' And he took him back to the field where he had found him. His father was plowing there as the young giant came over to him and said, "'Look, father, look what a fine man your son has grown up to be.' The farmer was frightened and said, "'No, you're not my son. I don't want you. Go away.' "'Of course I'm your son. Let me do your work. I can plow just as well as you can, or even better.' "'No, no, you're not my son. I don't want you, and I don't want you to plow either. Go away.' However, since the farmer was afraid of the big man, he let go of the plow, stepped aside, and sat down at the edge of the field. Then the young man grabbed the plow and merely pressed his hand on it, but his grip was so powerful that the plow sank deep into the earth. The farmer could not bear to watch all that, and so he called over to him, If you're so set on plowing, then you've got to learn not to press down so hard, otherwise you'll ruin the field. Then the young man unharnessed the horses and began pulling the plow himself. Just go home, father, he said, and have mother cook me a large dish of food. In the meantime, I'll plow the field for you. The farmer went home and told his wife to cook the food, and the young man plowed the field two whole acres all by himself. After that, he harnessed himself to the harrow and harrowed the field with two harrows at the same time. When he was finished, he went into the woods and pulled up two oak trees, 
put them on his shoulders, and attached a harrow at each end of a tree, and a horse at each end of the other tree. Then he carried everything to his parents' house, as if it were a bundle of straw. When he reached the barnyard, his mother did not recognize him, and asked, "'Who's that horrible big man?' "'That's our son,' the farmer said. "'No,' she said, "'that can't be our son. We never had one that large. Our son was a tiny thing.' Then she yelled at him, "'Go away! We don't want you!' The young man did not respond, but led the horses into the stable, and gave them oats and hay, and whatever else they normally had. When he was finished, he went into the kitchen, sat down at a bench, and said, "'Mother, I'd like to eat now. Is supper almost ready?' "'Yes,' she replied, and brought him two tremendous bowls of food that would have lasted her and her husband a week. However, the young man finished everything by himself, and then asked whether she could give him something more. "'No,' she said. "'That's all we have.' That was really just a nibble. I've got to have more. She did not dare contradict him. So she went out and put a large pig's trough full of food on the fire. When it was ready, she carried it in. At last, a few more crumbs of food to eat, he said, and gobbled up everything that was in it. But that was not enough to satisfy his hunger. Father, he said, I can tell I'll never get enough to eat here. So, if you'll get me an iron staff strong enough that I won't break it across my knee, I'll make my way out into the world. The farmer was happy to hear that. He hitched two horses to his wagon and went to the blacksmith, who gave him a staff so big and thick the two horses could barely pull it. The young man laid it across his knees, and crack, he broke it in two, as if it were a beanstalk, and threw it away. His father hitched four horses to his wagon and fetched another staff, one so large and thick that the four horses could barely pull it. Once again his son snapped it across his knee and threw it away. Father, he said, this one's no use to me. You've got to harness some more horses and fetch a stronger staff. Then his father hitched up eight horses to his wagon and brought back a staff so large and thick that the eight horses could barely pull it. When his son took it in his hand, he immediately broke off a piece from the top and said, Father, I see that you can't get the kind of staff I need, so I won't stay around here any longer. The young man went away, and he began passing himself off as a journeyman blacksmith. Soon he came to a village that had a blacksmith among its inhabitants. He was a greedy man who never gave anyone a thing and kept everything for himself. The young man went to the smithy and asked him whether he could use a journeyman. "'Yes,' said the blacksmith, who looked him over and thought, "'That's a sturdy fellow. He'll certainly be good at hammering, and he's sure to earn his keep.' Then he said, "'How much wages do you want?' "'None at all,' he answered. "'But every two weeks, when the other journeymen receive their wages, I shall give you two blows that you must be able to withstand.' The miser voiced great satisfaction with the terms, because he thought he could save money this way. The next morning the strange journeyman was supposed to hammer first, and when the master brought out the red-hot bar and the journeyman dealt the blow, the iron flew all over in pieces, and the anvil sank so deep into the ground that they could not get it out again. The miser became furious and said, "'That's all. I can't use you any more. You hammer much too roughly. What do I owe you for the one blow?' "'I'll just give you a tiny tap, that's all,' said the journeyman." and he lifted his foot and gave him such a kick that he flew over four stacks of hay. Then the journeyman picked out the thickest iron staff he could find in the smithy, used it as a walking stick, and went on his way. 
After he had been traveling for a while, he came to a large farming estate and asked the bailiff if he needed a foreman. Yes, said the bailiff, I can use one. You look like a sturdy and able fellow. What would you like your wages to be for the year? Again he answered that he did not want to be paid, but that the bailiff would have to withstand three blows that he would give him at the end of every year. The bailiff was satisfied with that, for he too was a miser. The next morning the hired workers got up early because they were supposed to drive to the forest and cut wood, but the young man was still in bed. One of the workers called to him, Hey, it's time to get up. We're going to the forest, and you've got to come with us. Not yet, he replied in a rude and surly voice. You all go. I'll get there and back before the rest of you anyway. Then the workers went to the bailiff and told him that the foreman was still in bed and would not drive to the forest with them. The bailiff told them to wake him up again and order him to hitch up the horses. But the foreman answered just as he had before, You all go. I'll get there and back before the rest of you anyway. So he remained in bed another two hours, and when he finally managed to get up, he fetched two bushels of peas from the loft, cooked himself a porridge, and took his own sweet time in eating it. After that was done, he went out and hitched up the horses and drove to the forest. Near the forest was a ravine through which he had to drive. When he drove through it, he stopped the horses, got out, walked behind the wagon, and took some trees and bushes to build a large barricade that would prevent horses from getting through the ravine. When he arrived at the forest, the others were just leaving with their loaded wagons and heading home. "'Drive on,' he said to them. "'I'll still get home before you.' He did not drive very far into the forest, for as soon as he saw two of the biggest oak trees, he ripped them out of the ground, threw them into his wagon, and turned back. When he reached the barricade, the others were still standing around, since they had been prevented from getting through. "'You see,' he said, "'if you had stayed with me, you'd have made a home just as quickly,' and you'd have had another hour's sleep. He wanted to drive on, but his horses could not work their way through the barricade, so he unharnessed them, set them on top of the wagon, took hold of the shafts, and whisked everything through as easily as if the wagon were loaded with feathers. Once he was on the other side, he said to the workers, You see, I got through faster than you. And he drove on, while the others had to stay where they were. At the barnyard he grabbed hold of one of the trees, lifted it by his hand, showed it to the bailiff, and said, How do you like this nice cord of wood? The bailiff said to his wife, He's a good man, our foreman. Even if he does sleep long, he still makes a home sooner than the others. So the young man served the bailiff for a year, and when it was over and the other workers received their wages, it was time for him to collect his pay as well. However, the bailiff was afraid of the blows he had coming to him. He begged the foreman to forgo everything and said that, in return, he would make him bailiff and take over the job as foreman himself. No, said the young man, I don't want to be bailiff. I'm foreman and want to stay foreman, and I intend to dole out what we agreed upon. The bailiff offered to give him whatever he wanted, but it did no good. The foreman rejected everything he proposed, and the bailiff did not know what to do except to ask him for a two-week period of grace. He needed time to think of a way out of his situation. The foreman granted him an extension, and now the bailiff summoned all his clerks together. He asked them to think up a way to help him and to advise him. After they had deliberated a long time, they finally said that nobody's life was safe from the foreman. He could kill a man as easily as he could a gnat. They advised the bailiff, therefore, to order the foreman to climb down into the well and clean it out. 
When he was down below, they would roll one of the millstones that were lying there over the well and heave it on his head. Then he would never see the light of day again. The bailiff liked the idea, and the foreman was willing to climb down into the well. Once he was standing below, they rolled down the largest millstone they could find and were convinced they broke his skull with it. However, he called up to them, Chase the chickens away from the well. They're scratching around in the sand and throwing grains into my eyes so that I can't see. So the bailiff yelled, Shoo, shoo, as if he were scaring the chickens away. When the foreman had finished his work, he climbed up and said, Just look what a fine necklace I got on now. But he meant the millstone that he was wearing around his neck. Now the foreman wanted to receive his pay, but the bailiff requested another two weeks' grace to think up a new plan. The clerks met again and advised him to send the foreman to the haunted mill to grind grain at night, since nobody had ever emerged alive from it the next morning. The bailiff liked the proposal and called the foreman to him that very same evening. He ordered him to carry eight bushels of grain to the mill and grind it that night because they needed it right away. So the foreman went to the loft and put two bushels in his right pocket and two in his left. He carried the other four in a sack that he slung over his shoulder so that half was on his back and half on his chest. And off he went to the haunted mill. The miller told him he could easily grind the grain during the day, but not at night, because the mill was haunted, and anyone who had gone in there at night had not been alive in the morning to return. "'Don't worry, I'll manage,' said the foreman. "'Why don't you go and get some sleep?' Then he went into the mill and poured the grain into the hopper. Toward eleven o'clock he went into the miller's room and sat down on a bench. After he had been sitting there a while, the door suddenly opened, and an enormous table came in. Next he saw wine, roast meat, and all sorts of good food appear on the table by themselves, but nobody carried these things in. After that the chairs slid to the table, but nobody came. All at once he saw fingers handling knives and forks and putting food on the plates. Aside from that he could not see a thing. Since he was hungry and saw all this food, he too sat down at the table, ate along with all those present, and enjoyed the meal. When he had eaten his fill, and the others had also emptied their plates, he distinctly heard all the lights being suddenly snuffed out, and when it was pitch dark he felt something like a smack in the face. Then he said, If anything like that happens again, I'm going to strike back. When he received a second smack in the face, he struck back, and so it went the whole night. He took nothing without paying it back generously, with interest, and kept himself busy by smacking anything that came near him. At daybreak, however, everything stopped. When the miller got up, he went by to see how the foreman was, and he was amazed to find him alive. I had a very fine meal, said the foreman. Then I got some smacks in the face, but I also gave some in return. The miller was happy and said that the mill was now released from its curse, and he wanted to pay the foreman a reward. I don't want money, said the foreman. I already have enough. Then he took the flour on his back, went home, and told the bailiff he had done his job and now wanted to be paid the wages they had agreed upon. When the bailiff heard that, he became really alarmed and upset. He paced up and down the room, and beads of sweat ran down his forehead. So he opened the window to get some fresh air, but before he knew it, the foreman had given him such a kick that he went flying through the window out into the sky. He flew and flew until he was completely out of sight. Then the foreman said to the bailiff's wife, If he doesn't return, you'll have to take the other blow. No, no, she exclaimed. I won't be able to withstand it. 
and she opened the other window, because beads of sweat were running down her face also. Then he gave her a kick too, and she went flying out the window. Since she was lighter than her husband, she soared much higher. Her husband called out to her, Come over here. But she replied, No, you come over here to me, I can't make it there. So they soared through the sky, and neither could get to the other. Whether they are still soaring, I don't know, but I do know that the young giant took his iron staff and continued on his way. The End The Brothers Grimm Lunch Break is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. Download it and share it all you'd like, but don't change it or sell it. The translations used are copyright Jack Zipes and are used with permission. His collected translations, The Complete Fairy Tales of the Brothers Grimm, is available on the media of your choice from Bantam Books. The music is Mount Timbrel by Jamie Janover off his All Strings Considered album, available on magnatune.com. If you'd like to listen to any of the other tales, you can find them on our website, grimlunch.org, where you can also leave comments or subscribe through iTunes. And if you're in iTunes, would you mind leaving a review or clicking on stars to give this podcast a rating? It helps other people find the podcast, and I'd really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Thank you.